0: You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. One of my... One of my weaknesses in ministry, and it goes all the way back to the beginning when God called me into ministry, is is, uh, the hard work ethic that my dad built into me uh, growing up on the farm to work hard. always give 110%. That can be a good thing and a bad thing. And the bad thing that it's been for me is I have a tendency to want to get involved in something and launch something or do something and then come back to God and say, God, if you could, just put your stamp of approval on that. I have a tendency to want to wanna go ahead and, and launch and get busy and do the work without really spending the time in God's counsel to find out if that's actually what God's asked us to do or asked me to do. And, and God's been reminding me of that here recently. I've been spending some extended times over the last few weeks at Jesus' feet, I'm, I'm trying to uh, become Mary and less Martha, if you know what I'm talking about in the New Testament. And um, he's been showing me some things, some, some issues inside of me, some stuff that he's uh, working on and dealing with, and some of the stuff I've been carrying around for a long time. And, and part of that speaking and part of that listening to the Lord, listening to him in his text and his word, listening to him in that moment when the Holy Spirit is speaking, when we're meditating on God's word, you see, God speaks, and, and we've got to slow down long enough to hear him. I've got to slow down long enough to hear what he's wanting to say because God's wanting to say something very profound, and he's wanting to say something to us about the mission that he's placed us in as disciples of Christ. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it, it could be that God has a better way of reaching the community than anything I could come up with. Is that possible? Certainly it is, if I'll slow down long enough to listen. God spoke to me this week and kind of in, in an unusual way. Um, I was sitting in my office and I was reading through Psalms. and I've been reading through the book of Acts. And there's this image that came up in my mind. No, not necessarily a vision or anything like that. It's just something I begin to contemplate on. And, and God used that to reveal some things in my heart and, and how I've been trying to do ministry off and on throughout the journey. Now, there's been times where I've consulted him. Absolutely, there's times and I spend time in prayer with him, preparing the messages. But, but when we talk about the mission of God and what God is calling us to do, I have a tendency to write it all down first. I have a tendency to, to launch and run when God's saying, oh, oh wait a minute. Did, did I tell you to do that? Did I, did I initiate that in your heart? Sometimes he has. Other times, maybe not. So this is the this is the imagery that came up in my mind it's, it's ludicrous honestly Can you imagine if you were to build a sailboat you know a little sailboat maybe Big enough for three or four people. And you, you pour your life into this thing and you build it and you, you put the, the lacquer coats on it. It just looks beautiful and you, you build the sails and, and the day comes when you're going to take it to the lake and put it in the water with the hopes of the maiden journey of your new sailboat, making it across to the other side and maybe back. And so you put, you put the boat in the water and, And you get into the boat, and and here's your plan. Your plan is to stand in the boat, and with all that you've got, with every bit of strength you've got, blow as much wind into the sails as you possibly can. Now, if you were to walk by me doing this, you would laugh probably out loud and go, what are you doing? You know, you you have to wait for the wind to come to fill the sails to take your boat to the other side. Well, no, I've got this. You know, if I I blow hard enough and if I blow long enough, I know I'm going to be able to get this done. And maybe I just need some more people in the boat blowing in the same same sails. And maybe, just maybe we can move the boat a few feet and we'll celebrate the fact that we've moved the boat a few feet and we'll all pat ourselves on the back and say, what a great job. And maybe by some happenstance,
1: we were able to move the boat a few feet. Uh, I hate to admit to you that too many times in ministry, that's exactly been my approach.
0: And in that approach, I expect that God's going to put a stamp of approval on what I've already figured out in my mind that we need to do, or I need to do. And so here I am in the boat blowing in the sails and we're not going anywhere. And then if I blow long enough and I get tired long enough, then I begin to blame God because God's not showing up and doing what I expect Him to do while God's all the while standing back saying, I never told you to do that to start with. I don't think I'm the only one.
1: You see, I, I have been the epitome of this
0: statement multiple times down through the years. Have you ever heard this statement, God helps those who help themselves? you ever heard that? Maybe you've got that on a pillow somewhere, or maybe a, a bumper sticker, or maybe in a devotional book you read this somewhere, God helps those who help themselves. Can I blow your mind for just a moment? That is not scriptural at all. It may be a good slogan for your bumper, but it is bad, bad theology. But I can, I have epitomized that statement because what I have done is I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to take off and I'm going to run this way and I'm going to work hard expecting God to come alongside the work that I'm doing and turning it into something beautiful and effective. And, and then when he does that, then I can turn around and give God the glory for it or take the glory for myself. You see, if I can stand in the boat and I can make the boat go to the other side through my strength and through my power and through my ability, then does God get the glory for that or does, do we get
1: the glory for that? Yeah, I know it's a ludicrous image, but I think God's teaching me something. And not only through what I've
0: been reading, but also the life of Joseph. You see, Joseph has been through a serious set of circumstances, and it's not getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse. And, and Joseph is doing the right things for the right reasons. His, his heart is motivated correctly, and, and we just see an amazing integrity and character in this, this 17, 18, 19-year-old. and Joseph. But the problem with this idea that, that God helps those who help themselves is, is that, what about those who are helpless? Have you ever been there? What if you can't muster the energy to pray? What if you can't even muster the energy to do what God has called you to do? And because of some physical ailment or some situation that you're in, there's no no strength left. Does that mean you're outside of God's grace? Does that mean you just got to work harder? You see, our American culture loves
1: the whole idea of working hard and pulling ourselves up and doing it ourselves. That's our culture. We love to go it alone. This idea of us just working harder and getting on the trail mill and running faster
0: and faster and faster and then comparing ourselves to someone down the road or somewhere down the street where they're running a little faster. I've got to run harder. I've got to pick up the pace. Because remember, God works for those who work for themselves. Or the other statement, this equally bad, do your best and God will reward you. You work hard for God and God will work hard for you. It puts you at the center. It puts you at the focus. It puts your abilities. But what if, what if God's wanting to do something completely different and wanting us to think about things completely different than us working ourselves to death, hoping that God somehow comes alongside and, and makes up the slack, right? Maybe God has a completely different approach here. And if he does, we might want to pay attention to it. Joseph sold by his brothers, resold by those people who bought him to Potiphar. In Potiphar's house, he rises to power. Things are going great, man. God is blessing. God is moving. God is blowing in his cells.
1: Only to be falsely accused by Potiphar's wife that he did something inappropriate that he did not do. And Potiphar throws him in prison.
0: And when we look at Joseph's life and we look at all the things that are going wrong, we would be tempted to look at all the things that are going wrong because that's what I do in my life. I don't know about you, that when things are going wrong, I tend to focus on the things that are going wrong. And if I focus on them long enough, I become kind of bitter and angry about it. And, and then I begin to blame God for it. And then I begin to believe that God's off running the universe somewhere. And you know, the next obvious step for me and the way I'm wired is I'm going to get to work and I'm going to fix
1: it myself. So Joseph is in prison. At any
0: point along the journey, Joseph could have just disappeared off the scene. At any point along the journey, Joseph could have just faded into the background of Scriptures like so many others do. But yet here we are, and we've got several chapters ahead of what God is doing in his life. You see, we have a big tendency to help God out as though he needs it. We have a a big tendency inside of all of us to to, to go to God and say, now, God, here's what I need. Here's my laundry list, and and I'm expecting you to show up and do this, and I'm expecting you to follow through, and if you don't, then then I'm going to get upset about that. And God's all the while saying,
1: when have you spent time in my counsel about that? As Joseph continues on this journey, especially in chapters 40 and
0: 41, God's work in his life is going to become so clear, and Joseph is going to recognize it. Joseph is going to recognize that that God is moving. If if Joseph hasn't already acknowledged it, and I'm sure that he has, because there was no reason for him to end up in Egypt. There was no reason for him to be blessed in Potiphar's house. There was no reason for Potiphar not to take his head off for the accusation that his wife lodged against him. Joseph certainly recognizes that God is
1: working, but when he gets into this prison, he's going to find something incredible, amazing. And what I'm hoping that you're going to see is as God has been working in Joseph's life in the minute details,
0: what I want you to recognize is that God is also working in your life, both lost and saved. For the disciples in the room, for the people who put your faith in Jesus, God is absolutely all in your life working. And what God wants desperately from you is through the Holy Spirit and through his word and through worship and through spending time with it, you're gonna recognize God's work in your life. For those of you who are lost, who've never put your faith in Jesus, do you realize all that God has done in eternity past? to make it possible for you to enter into the kingdom of God? Do you realize that in your mother's womb, God knit you together, whether you believe in him or not? And not only that, when he knit you together, he knit you together for purpose, for reason, for for, for, for something in this life that he has for you to accomplish. And he has not abandoned you, no, not at all. Even in your rebellion, even in your sin, even in your evil, even in the fact that you are shaking your fist in the face of God, rejecting Him at every turn, God has not given up on you.
1: Isn't that incredible? In the details of your life, you'll see the hand of God. So what is our
0: response to that? Well, I want you to see what Joseph's response is. Chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with the two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. Now, before we begin to think that this is just kind of setting the stage for the more important stuff to come later, you're you're missing the point. Potiphar had the option to kill Joseph on the the spot. As soon as he found out what his wife was accusing him of, Potiphar had the right to take him out in the courtyard and separate his head from his shoulders. But he doesn't do that. And it's mysterious as to why Potiphar didn't do that. And what's even more mysterious is is that Potiphar would choose to have Joseph put in a political prison when there were plenty of other options. So if, if Potiphar didn't choose to kill him, Certainly, you would imagine that Potiphar wants him to suffer. So so Potiphar could have put him in any number of prisons. He could have sold him as a slave. He could have been out working in the fields till they killed him or worked him to death until he died. Potiphar had lots of options here, but we have to wonder why would Potiphar choose to put this young Hebrew boy who follows Jehovah God in political prison? He's not a political dissident. He doesn't even know anything about Pharaoh. He he knows nothing about Egypt. But yet, where do we find Joseph? We find Joseph in political prison.
1: And what's even more amazing is, is from the time that he came into Egypt, he's 17 years old.
0: By the time he comes before Pharaoh, he's 30 years old. 13 years. 13 years as a slave in Potiphar's house and as a prisoner in political prison. So this is not like a couple of days that are passing by. Thirteen years are passing as we read these passages. So he's
1: been in this place of, of turmoil for 13 years by the time we get to Pharaoh. Back up to chapter 39, verse 23. Chapter 39, verse
0: 23. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Because the Lord was with him, whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Guess what happens in prison? The exact same thing happened that happened in Potiphar's house. So as Joseph moves into prison, the captain of the guard, the guy who's over the prison notices something about Joseph, notices that the spirit of God is upon him, notices that Joseph is a man of integrity, a man of character that is all connected to his faith in God.
1: And the prison captain puts Joseph in charge. Coincidence? I think not. And while Joseph is in prison, something happens in the king's court. Something happens where the king is threatened
0: and the king is not exactly who's who's at fault. So he he thinks the two, the main two, are the cupbearer and the baker. So he has them thrown into the same exact prison that Joseph is in. Look at verse four. Chapter 40, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them.
1: With who? The cupbearer and the baker. And they continued for some time in custody. Now, again, maybe your
0: perception is, well, wow, that's a great set of circumstances that just happened to work out in Joseph's favor. Or you could choose to see that starting all the way back in Dothan, where the brothers are getting ready to kill their brother and Reuben intervenes all the way up to the prison that God has been working behind the scenes, working out all of these circumstances to bring Joseph to this very prison. Here's something that's going to bother you. It bothers me. It's not easy to hear. It's not easy to accept. But could it be that the prison you're in, the valley you're walking through, the darkness that you're in right now, the storm that you find yourself in the middle of, could it be that that is God's will for your life right now?
1: Wow, that's hard to accept, isn't it? It is for me. Well, then if it's, if it's God's will that I go
0: through this valley of the shadow of death, it feels like death is creeping in on you, on your marriage, on your household, on your job, in every particular area of your life. You see nothing but darkness. Well, here's something to entertain. Could it be that this season in your
1: life, where you are right now, is by the hand of God himself? And if it is, what is God doing?
0: What is He he wanting us to learn? What what is He wanting to do in our life? Is is He wanting something in our life that connects to the kingdom of God and the mission of God in the valley that
1: I'm in right now? Yes, all of those. Isn't it interesting that that in some of those dark valleys that you're in, that it could be God's will that you're there. But our prayers to God in that moment have nothing to do with the will of God and have everything
0: to do with our comfort. Isn't that the exact opposite of what we should be expressing in that moment? That, that God, I don't like this. That's absolutely fine. You tell God that, that this is painful. You don't like walking through that. That is absolutely fine. If you go and look at David's Psalms, you'll find that over and over again. This just gut level honesty to God about the circumstances that David is in and the fact that he just despises it.
1: But somewhere along that prayer journey, Father, if this being your will, and I know you're perfect, then, Father, I accept it. Teach me what you would have me to know in this moment. Instead of blaming God and getting angry with Him and accusing Him of wrongdoing, maybe, just maybe, it's in that prison, in that storm, in that valley, It's God's will for you right now in your life. Well, Joseph is in prison. And it just so happens that the baker and the cupbearer end up in prison as well. Complete
0: happenstance, right? The baker and the cupbearer are two of the most important people to a king. He's the one that that he talks to more probably than anyone else in his court. Why is that? Why would the baker and the cupbearer be so important to the king? Because it's the cupbearer and the baker who makes sure that the food that the Pharaoh eats has not been poisoned. That's pretty important, isn't it? So the cupbearer, in particular, if you want to go read about Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king at that stage in history, very important position. The king is talking to the cupbearer and to the baker on a regular basis. The cupbearer and the baker know the king pretty well. They know what he likes, they know what he dislikes. They, They know what he prefers and what he doesn't prefer. They're in constant contact. These two guys are some of the closest people to the king. Something has happened in the Pharaoh's court. These two men who have close ties to the king just happen to be in the same prison as Joseph, but not only the same prison, but under the care
1: of Joseph this nobody from Shechem. And over the course of his life,
0: God has worked out all of these circumstances to place him in that prison at this particular moment. Remember, the will of God is that, that Joseph make it to Egypt, but not only make it to Egypt to be second in charge. These two men out of the king's court have, a, have dreams. They, they, they have a terrible dream one night. The, the cupbearer, his dream's not so bad. Uh, they just have a hard time trying to figure out what they mean. The, the dream that the cupbearer has is that he sees a vine. And on this vine is a beautiful bunch of grapes. And the, the cupbearer in his dream goes over and he squeezes the grapes into the cup and he goes and serves Pharaoh the juice from the vine. It's the end of the dream. Well, well, the baker has a dream. The baker, he, he dreams about some baskets being on top of his head. And in the top basket is some bread. And the birds come and pick and chew and eat the bread that's in the top basket. And that's the end of the dream. But they were troubled by it. They they, they couldn't get past it. Verse 5, And one night they both dreamed. And it describes their dream there. And, and Joseph notices one day that they were troubled in verse 6. And Joseph, who's has care over these two men, comes up to him and says, Hey, what's going on, guys? And they say, Well, look, we had this dream. We had these dreams. We don't know what they mean. They mean something, but we can't figure it out. And, Notice what Joseph says. Joseph says in verse 8, the latter part, do not interpretations belong to God? What do we see in Joseph here? We see a man who still trusts and walks with God, even in spite of all of his circumstances. If in this moment he had become bitter and angry towards God, do you think for a moment he would have even brought this up? No. He's not become bitter and angry. He's still walking with God, even in the prison. And the reason that Joseph can interpret the dreams from God is because God has given the dreams to the cupbearer and the baker. God had given those two men those particular dreams. Joseph recognizes that those dreams are from God and says, well, if God gave the dream, then God will give the interpretation because God's trying to say something. You know what Joseph does in this moment? He recognizes that God is working in this prison. And not just working in his life, but working in the life of the cupbearer and the baker. But Joseph would have to wonder, why is this? Why is all this happening? You and I know the story.
1: Joseph did not. He's just walking by faith. So the cupbearer tells Joseph the dream. And Joseph says, okay, here's the interpretation.
0: Uh, In three days, you're going to be restored back to the king, and you're going to be able to serve the king. You're going to take your old position back. Basically, you're going to be set free out of prison. Yay. But notice what Joseph says to the cupbearer. He says, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so to get me out of this house where I indeed was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Okay, there's our evidence, right, that Joseph is working hard, so that God will work hard for him, right? I mean, that's the evidence. Joseph takes this opportunity and he says, hey, by the way, if you could help me get out of this prison, that's great. Is Joseph helping himself so that God will help him? No, what Joseph is doing is recognizing that God is working already in his midst and he wants to join God in that work, however that turns out. He sees the hand of God moving in these dreams. The baker says, hey, what about me? And Joseph interprets his dream and says, look, the, um, the baskets that were on your head three days from now, um, Pharaoh's going to separate your head from your body and he's going to put your body on a stake. Yay, all right. Notice that he doesn't ask the baker to remember him when he gets back to Pharaoh. It's because he's going to die before he gets back to Pharaoh. Guess what happens three days later? Exactly what Joseph predicted. Exactly what Joseph predicted. Joseph gave credit to God. Joseph acknowledged the fact that only God could interpret demons. It wasn't about him. It wasn't some magical power that he had. That this is God working. Not only did God, did Joseph recognize that God is working, he pronounced to these people who are following false gods that God is working. Jehovah God is working in your midst. I know you believe in God, the Ra God, the Son God, all these other gods, but Jehovah God has just showed up. Jehovah God gives the interpretation. Jehovah God is working in the midst. What a testimony. Notice verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Isn't that how things work? Just when you think, just when you think. Everything's going to turn out right, Just when you, especially when Joseph heard that the dreams turned out exactly the way he predicted them, right? Joseph is down in prison. He hears that the baker has met his end. He's heard that the cupbearer has went back to the service of the king, and he's probably thinking, now, now everything's going to turn out. This guy's going to advocate for me, and somehow or another, they're going to let me go because I've done a good job. Joseph thinks that because of what he's done for the cupbearer, maybe he's thinking that, that the king will just show him favor and say, okay, you're free to go. Joseph has no idea what God is getting ready to do in his life. It's so much bigger than Joseph could imagine.
1: You see, Joseph is not just going to be set free. Joseph is going to fulfill the will of God. Look at chapter 41, after two whole years. So between 40
0: and 41, 13 years have passed now. 13 hard years years 13 years of walking through the valley of the shadow of death have there been blessings absolutely have there been times where god's hand has moved yes but overall
1: joseph's last 13 years is not 13 years that i would want to have and guess what happens pharaoh dreamed pharaoh has a dream now is that happenstance of course
0: not The same God that gave those two servants of the Pharaoh those dreams and gave Joseph the interpretation is now giving Pharaoh a dream, two of them to be exact,
1: and it's going to trouble Pharaoh to the core. These dreams, he he dreams of seven plump, uh,
0: nice, well-fed cows coming up, healthy. And these seven are wonderful-looking specimens of cattle, And then in the dream, seven more come up. And these seven more are gaunt and and half dead and skinny. And the seven skinny ones eat the seven plump ones. Kind of weird, right? Then he has another dream right after that. And that dream is seven full ears of wheat. And then seven more that come up and and overtake the seven plump ones. And look at verse 8. So after, in the morning after he's had these dreams, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one was able to interpret them. Both in Genesis and Exodus, over and over again you find this theme. You have the gods of Egypt and you have Jehovah God. And all through the narrative you see Times and opportunities where Jehovah God is pitted against the gods of Egypt, and you know who fails every single time without fail? The false gods of Egypt. Jehovah God always reigns supreme. He always comes through. And in this moment, not a single wise man of the courts of Egypt is able to interpret their dream. And then all of a sudden, the cupbearer, cupbearer remembers something. After two years, he remembers, oh, by the way, there's this guy. He's a Hebrew down in prison. And Pharaoh, you remember when you were angry with Muth B. and the baker, and you didn't know who had caused the problem in the court, and you found out it was a baker. Well, guess what? That guy down in the prison interpreted our dreams exactly the way they played out. And three days after he made that interpretation, it played out in real time exactly how he predicted it. Well, of course, Pharaoh is certainly interested now, right? Because he can't get past this dream.
1: So they call for Joseph to come out of the prison, and you've got to get the weight of this moment. Here is a 28, 29, 30 year old Hebrew boy who grew up in Jacob's household as a shepherd.
0: And this guy's been through everything up to this point. He, he's been sold out by his brothers, he's been carried 300 miles to Egypt, he was sold into Potiphar's house as a household slave wrongly accused by his wife, thrown into prison, 13 years have passed, and now out of nowhere, he's standing before the most powerful king on the earth. Only my God can pull that off. Okay, let's make sure we ground this where it needs to be. Only Jehovah God, who is in control of the complete universe, can take a nobody, a 17-year-old, out of Shechem, and bring him all the way through 13 years, and place him in the court of the king to now interpret a dream. Only God can do that. Don't even go to the circumstances. Don't even go to coincidences because there's no way you've got any argument that holds any water other than the reality of a God who loves this young man and has a purpose for his life. And so it is with you. And so it is with you. So here he is standing before Pharaoh. Notice what he says. Verse 16, Joseph answered to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, hey, can you, can you do this? Notice what Pharaoh, what Pharaoh hears from Joseph. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Are we not seeing some consistency in Joseph's life here?
1: Listen, King, before you think that I'm some other magician in your court, I'm just a Hebrew boy out of Dothan. But the God that I serve, the one true God, the only God that matters,
0: he's the one that gave you that dream, and I'm going to interpret it. So Pharaoh tells him the dream. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. So not only does Joseph give credit to God for the interpretation, but Joseph takes it the next step and says, the providence of God, the sovereignty of God that's been real in my life ever since my brother sold me into slavery, that same God is now going to speak. And that God is doing something in time and space. He's controlling the outcomes here. Pharaoh, you're just just a king, but make no mistake about it, you're under the sovereignty of God. That is what Joseph is saying in this moment. God reigns supreme, not your false gods, not your idols. Verse 26, the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are the same, or one. And then he goes through and he says, The seven lean, ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. And it is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And here's what God's about to do. God is going to give seven years of incredible, bountiful harvest. It's the, the fields are going to produce incredible amounts of food for seven years. After those seven years, the world is going to experience a famine. A famine so bad, the Bible describes it as a global event. The Bible describes it as something incredibly horrible for humanity to have to go through. Notice what he says, verse 32. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God. Pharaoh, hear me out. The sovereign God who's over all creation, this thing is fixed in his mind. You know what that means? It means, Pharaoh, that none of your gods have an answer. None of your gods have any power here. None of your gods have any standing room when Jehovah God shows up and says, this is what I'm going to do. It will come to pass, Pharaoh. The God that I serve, Pharaoh, is in control, not you. So seven years of plenty and seven years of famine are going to come. And look at verse 33. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Hey, Pharaoh, you might want to be prepared with someone who can be over this who's wise. And by the way, Pharaoh, let me give you some insight on maybe what you can do. Think of the audacity of Joseph in this moment. Only God can give you that kind of voice Only God can give you the words to say in front of a king who can, at the snap of his fingers, take your life out. I mean, this is pretty bold for Joseph to make a recommendation to the Pharaoh. He just came out of prison, folks. They they had to give him a bath and shave him before they could even bring him before the king. And this Hebrew boy who's now a man of 30 years old, is going to give advice to the most powerful man on earth? How does that happen? Well, it can happen unless Jehovah God is involved. He says to Pharaoh, here's what you need to do, Pharaoh. Let Let me give you some advice. Because, you know, I've lived a long time and I've got a lot of wisdom here. You know, I know all about administration and leading an entire nation. So let me give you some advice. Does that not just sound amazingly foolish? Well, sometimes when you're walking with God and you're walking in His will, words will come out of your mouth that God gives you that you like, where did that come from? Amen. Because it was never about you. It's about Him working in you. He says here, here's what we're going to do. Here's what I recommend, Pharaoh. Uh, take one-fifth of the produce of the land during those seven years, and let's put it back. And let's gather all that food, let's build some silos, let's build some things, let's store as much food as we can, let's store it back, so that we'll have some food in storage when the seven years are up and the famine begins. That's
1: pretty that's pretty wise. Verse thirty seven. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And here
0: is one of the most amazing statements. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Joseph's faithfulness to God. Joseph's trust in the providence of God. Joseph's recognition of God working in his midst has now influenced the most powerful man on earth. And the powerful man on earth looks at Joseph and says, I see in you the spirit of God. Is there anybody else that can compare to the spirit of God upon this man? An idolater, someone who believes in false gods is now recognizing the power of God in Joseph's life. Isn't it amazing? That when you begin to see the work of God in your life and you begin to lean into that work rather than resisting it. To, to, to walk with God rather than blame Him. To, to accept This valley that you're in as part of God's will for your life, there is something freeing in that. There is something beautiful in that. There is something amazing that when you see the hand of God working in the valley of the shadow of death that gives you courage to stand and to walk and to serve and to be a witness
1: for a God who loves you with such love. Joseph is now being an incredible witness to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all
0: of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you.
1: You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. No education in Egypt. No understanding of Egyptian culture. A young man who was sold by his own family a young man who has been in prison, wrongly accused. There's
0: nobody on God's green earth at this time that would be more unlikely to be serving in this role. Yet, what do we see? We see God taking Joseph, not only delivering him out of prison, but putting him in the second command of the most powerful nation on earth. Only God can do that. Only God can do that kind of work. That's not a man. That's not a work of man. And here's the point. We can either choose to stand in our own boat and blow and blow and blow all we want to into those sails, hoping that we can move that boat a couple of feet. Or we can stand in the counsel of God, recognize His work all around us, and join God in the work He's already doing. Did you know that every prayer you're ever going to pray is in a response to what God has already said? You're not initiating the conversation in prayer. God initiated the conversation in eternity past with you. God has initiated that conversation and he invites you into that conversation through the blood of Jesus Christ, through being adopted into his family. God initiated a conversation with you. Did you know that God has some things he wants to say to you? But maybe we're too busy blowing our own cells.
1: Maybe we're too busy trying to fix our own circumstances. Maybe... Maybe we've blamed God so long and so
0: often that we've become so cold that we couldn't recognize God moving in our life,
1: even if he was, because of the layers and layers and layers of hurt and disappointment and pain. The king needed an honest leader, and he found one in one of the most extraordinary sets
0: of circumstances that were not circumstances at all. It was the hand of God
1: bringing Joseph to this place. Now, the reason Joseph is here, it's not just so Joseph can be comfortable. You see, a famine is coming. And back home, back home are some brothers, but specifically one brother, Judah. You see, Judah is important because out of the tribe of Judah is going to come a Messiah. Messiah.
0: So so the tribe of Judah cannot end with Judah. The tribe of Judah must live on. They must survive this famine. And how do you think God is going to make sure that Judah
1: lives through the famine? Well, that comes next week. Turn back to Matthew chapter 11.
0: Matthew chapter 11. I I want to finish up that text there because it gives
1: us incredible insight into this whole idea that you just got to work harder. You just you just got to run the treadmill faster. You just have to work. Because remember, God helps those who help
0: themselves. I don't know about you, but I think there's been plenty of times in Joseph's life up to this point where Joseph was helpless. And apart from the move of God in Potiphar's house, well, let's back up. Apart from the move of God with Reuben getting involved and not allowing the brothers to kill their own brother, the involvement of God bringing Joseph all the way across 300 miles to Egypt, the involvement of God in Potiphar's house, both when he rose to power and both when he was wrongly accused, the power of God and the presence of God when he goes into the very prison where two of the most important men in the king's court is going to end up in the same prison under Joseph's care.
1: All of that. All of that was the work of God to bring about God's purpose and God's will. Notice what
0: Jesus says here. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That heavy laden, it has it has the imagery of a of a donkey or a mule that that has bags and weights tied over it, so much so that its this back is bowing from all of the weight and it's barely able to walk. So Jesus gives this imagery. Say, hey, guys, if you are burdened like an animal, if you are weighted down with the cares of the world, and specifically, if you are trying to keep the law, if you're trying to run the treadmill, if you're trying to be a better person, and you're heavy laden and you're
1: burdened down, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Now, if Jesus had stopped right there, I'd have been perfectly fine with that. But he continues on. Right after he says, "Give you rest," he
0: makes this statement, which makes us all kind of wonder what Jesus is heading, where he's heading here. He says, "Now take my yoke upon you." Wait a minute. Now, taking a yoke is not a pleasant thing. You know what a yoke is, right? It's a couple of oxen. It's big old wooden block that's been kind of carved out so that it fits around the neck of the oxen. And and off off that yoke comes some straps that comes back to a nice big plow. Does that sound like rest to you? No, it doesn't sound like
1: rest to me either. But Jesus says, take, notice this, my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. What is he
0: talking about? I understand the part coming to Jesus and finding rest. I understand that to a degree, but what is this about taking a yoke on? Well, the imagery that Jesus is presenting here that that the hearers would have gotten is this. So if you have some farmland, you're going to be farming and tilling and you got some oxen. You got this ox that's been with you for a long time and this ox knows how to pull the plow and knows how to be under the control of the person leading it. It's got experience. And you got this young ox over here that thinks he knows everything, thinks he's already got it figured. He's got all this energy and all this strength, but he's never been in the yoke. He he doesn't know how to pull a plow. He's a little wild, a little rough around the edges. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm already in the yoke. I'm already working. I'm already doing the will of my Father upon this planet. And what I'm asking you to do is for you,
1: a little rough around the edges, he thinks you've got it all figured out. He says, I want you to join with me in the yoke and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly at heart. What Joseph recognized is that God is working. Joseph wanted to
0: join God in that work. Jesus is saying, I have a mission for you to to live out, and I want you to join me in that mission. I want you to join me in the work that I'm already doing. I don't want you to stand in a boat and spend your whole life blowing into some sails thinking that moving three feet is some incredible feat. What I want you to do is sit at my feet, be with me in the yoke, let me empower you, let me call you, let me give you the mission, let me even give you the strategy, and then I'll blow in your sails and we'll go across this lake like you've never
1: seen. Do you trust me enough to do that? Do you trust me enough to give up control? Isn't that the hard part? I tell you, if I'd have had to walk Joseph's path, somewhere along the line, I would have sat down and I'd have come up with a strategy.
0: I would have come up with a plan to get out of that prison. I would have been looking for the weaknesses in the prison doors. I would have been looking for the opportunity to slip out. I mean, I've got all this power and all this control. And nobody's keeping an eye on me. Joseph could have easily concocted a plan that would have taken control and got him out, and he could have headed back home. That's what I would have done. Is that what you would have done? Or would you have waited because you recognize that God is working in the mess you're in? And instead of taking the shortcut, instead of making it easy, instead of escaping the pain, you would have waited for
1: God to do what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is much better than anything you can come up with far better obedience is a response to the work that god is already doing your path has been marked out for you god wants to do something amazing in your life doesn't necessarily
0: mean you're going to be standing before kings and presidents it may it may not i don't know but i know this both for Christian and non-Christian, saved and lost. God is working in your life right now. He's working. And for a lost person, are you going to quit trying to fix yourself long enough to see the glory and the majesty of God calling you
1: to salvation? Are you going to quit trying to be the good person and for once in your life surrender your life to Him? Disciple of
0: Christ, are you going to quit trying to fix everything in your life? Are you going to quit trying to manipulate everything in your life? Are you going to rest in the reality of what God is doing in that moment? You're going to recognize it, you're going to lean into it, and you're going to be obedient,
1: even if it means. Even if it means it may be a while before God's final plan is worked out in your life. Father in heaven,
0: I'm so thankful for Joseph and for his life. And uh, I see so many things in his life that I want my life to be about. And Father, I just don't want to just imitate Joseph and his integrity and character. I want to follow God. I want to follow you the way he followed you. That in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the pain,
1: that he recognized your sovereignty and your providence. Father, you know my heart, I have a tendency to want to fix it myself. And Father, you also know you also know
0: that my ego sometimes is what drives that. Father, you know that my ego sometimes gets in the way of what you want to do. And Father, I, I'm guilty of at times wanting to blow in my own cells. Not so that you will receive glory, but that I would receive a pat on the back. (laughs) I'm sorry. I've already had to confess that to you this week, but that's the tendencies that are in my heart. And uh, Father, I, I imagine that maybe I'm not the only one. Father, I ask that um, you work in the hearts of people for salvation, for repentance. But Father, we would just stop, that we would be still and know that you are God and that you are in control. And there, Father, we'll be able to find the joy of following you. Father, I believe there's some in this building that are just tired of running and running and running and blowing and blowing and blowing. And Father, I believe it's about time that they hear you and they respond. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. and Father, I'm especially grateful for your patience with me. You had every reason to give up on me a long time ago, but you didn't. You haven't. And you won't. For that, I'm very grateful. You haven't given up on any person in this room. No matter what dark place they're in, you you haven't given up. You're working. May the scales fall off their eyes so that they can see it. We love you. We thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media
1: on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.